It was good to share district council with Brenda. So we had a great time. It's just that uh, drive from Mobile after the ordination service Wednesday night, that was a little bit of a push for us. We're, we're too old to be doing that, aren't we? Sunflower seeds kept me awake. She got to doze a little bit, so thank the Lord for sunflower seeds. We, we got home about the same time the Coddles got to their house, about 1 a.m. in the morning. But it was a great time. Got to uh, be a part of Joey Puckett's ordination. And uh, just a beautiful time. I want to tell you, if, if your name is Dupuis, you ought to be able to do some gumbo. <laughs> and there's going to be some good gumbo. <laughs> I want to share a few thoughts with you. I'm going to uh, be reading from Mark chapter 9, if you want to turn there and, and find that place there on your, on your Bible app, whatever. Um, while you're finding Mark 9... This is Talladega week. There's supposed to be a stock car race over in Talladega. With the weather, though, we shall see. I grew up within about 30 minutes of Talladega. Um, Talladega was kind of like Nazareth. Is there anything good from... No. <laughs> Talladega County was right across the Coosa River from where we live. We actually live closer to Childersburg. Uh, but uh, we were in Shelby County and, and attended Benson High School. But uh, I remember the, the uh, construction of that racetrack in the 60s. But I paid n- absolutely no attention to it. I had no, no interest in racing at all until in the 1980s. A banker in our church in Jacksonville was a huge NASCAR fan, and he had a daughter named Stephanie that was about seven or eight, and she just loved Bill Elliott, Wild Bill from Dawsonville. See, there's a few people. So he came to me and he asked, uh, have you ever been to a stock car race? I said, well, no, but they have them on the wrong day for me. He said, no, I want to take you to the twin qualifying races, and I'll bring you back. You won't miss Sunday. So I said, well, sure, I'll go with you. Well, I was hooked. I mean, first time seeing something right there in front of me go by me at 200 miles an hour, I was like, that is utterly amazing. (laughs) And it didn't hurt that a young driver from Hueytown was making his mark about that same time, Davey Allison, had the Haviland 28. So I always wanted to let people know in Florida where I was from. So it just became another opportunity to let them know that I'm part of the Alabama gang. That's right. So uh, I started following racing. I still follow it. Don't ask me uh, who I really like to see win because you're like, that person? It's not Dale Earnhardt Jr. And I know I'm already on the outside looking in. But um, for the first time a few years ago, I went and visited Talladega for qualifying for the Sunday race, and I went with Junior White, of all people. Fancy that. So he had to show me around because I never stepped foot on that place. And then last year, we had a great time. Ash and I got to go to one of the Saturday races, and what a blast we had. You know, um, you got to have a good car. You got to have a good driver. But 
you've got to have much more than that. You've got to have a good team, a good crew, a crew chief. You've got to have everybody on that team doing what they do at the highest level possible. And if you know anything about it, you just know that one second in, in a, an extended pit stop could cost you the race. That's how close all this is calibrated. They don't measure pit stop in seconds. They measure them in tenths of seconds. And if you make any slip-up, it's like incredibly hard to come back and win the race. But every team member has a specific responsibility, whether they're on the racetrack or in the garage. There's so many people that go in. We see the winner of the race, but it's all because of the team, right? Well, church is that way. And the most healthy church there is, is a church that has the highest number of people in it, not the number itself, but the highest number of people in it who know their part, who know what their role is, who know the function that they're in the church about. What, what, why, why am I here? What am I doing here? And the more people that have that question answered, the healthier it is, Right? Because it is about teamwork. Now think about this just for a moment. Jesus came on the greatest mission ever, right? He came to save the world. He came to secure salvation, redemption for lost mankind. He came to answer the problem that happened in the Garden of Eden. But do you realize he did not launch that mission without a team? He could have done everything by himself, right? But that wasn't part of his mission. His mission was to come and establish his kingdom in the hearts and minds of people. And it started with that team. We could call that Team Jesus. Team Jesus. I like that. I liked it so much, I put that as the title of the message. And when Jesus called those men to him, he was actually saying, come join my team. He put it in words of follow me, but he was asking them to do more than just kind of occasionally sit with him and listen to him and be trained because he called them to leave their occupation and in some regard to leave their family, to take a hiatus from their family. In fact, in fact, on one occasion, the disciples reminded Jesus what they really had given up to attach themselves to his team. You remember that? Lord, look what we, we've left everything. We've left our families. We left our homes. We've left our occupation. We decided to throw everything that we have and could be into your hands. You remember what Jesus said? Yeah, right, you, you've done that. And you're going to receive that back and much more. He said, this is not a loss. These three years that, that you've given your time and your life to me is not a loss. It's seed in the ground. And you're going to recoup everything that you gave up and more. Now, this was not a perfect team, was it? 
Just like there's no perfect church, there's no, there was no perfect team. These guys were not perfect. They had issues, and from time to time, those issues surface, and they surface in chapter 9. Those issues are not omitted in, from the Scriptures. Mark didn't just kind of like, well, this doesn't really look good on some of the disciples. I think I just won't record this. And right deep into this chapter is a statement that if you read it by itself, it just it says a lot, but when you read it from the context... It says so much more. And I'm referring to verse 38, 39, and 40. And this is an exchange that Jesus had with one of the inner circle of disciples, John. It reads like this in verse 38, John, uh, Mark 9. Teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop. Because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Let me include 41. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Well, John, I really think, expected a different response from Jesus. Wouldn't you think? Because he was saying, we were protecting the ministry by someone who had no credential to be doing what they were doing. I don't think John would have said what he had said if he knew that Jesus was going to say, don't stop him. You know, we saw someone casting demons out in your name. And we stopped him. Because he was not part of our team. He was not one of us. Now I want to take you back to the start of this chapter. Because when you put it into the context, one of the first things in, in Mark 9 that you see is a transfiguration of Jesus on a mountain with James, John, and Peter, and Jesus. Four of them on the mountain, and on the mountain there, there is a visitation of Moses and Elijah. I think John may be living in the afterglow of that moment because he's got thunder. He's really a son of thunder. We told this guy to stop what you're doing. Because you haven't experienced what we've experienced. You weren't on the mountain like we were on the mountain. How dare you try to do something when you're not part of our team? There's an irony in this. We're going to see this a little bit later. But look at Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine, really, if you're a, a Jewish person and the icons in your history are people like Moses and Elijah... And they're not dreaming, they're there. They're with them, with Jesus. You know that Peter got all excited about it. He wanted to build monuments to everything. But who wouldn't? I mean, they're on the mountain and they're seeing 
two characters from their history that have a profound role in, in the nation of Israel's history. And it's Moses and Elijah. And the voice of the Father speaks in the midst of them and reminds the three disciples to listen to Jesus. Don't get caught up in, kind of hard to say this, don't get caught up in Moses and Elijah being there, which would be hard not to do, right? We'd be asking for their autograph. Hey, can, can you sign something so I can prove that <laughs> I was with you? That's the way we do things now. We make everybody a celebrity. But as they're coming down off the mountain, Jesus puts them all under a gag order. Well, that's something to show them, <laughs> to show them Moses and Elijah, and they can't talk about it. You know, that's just cruel. You know, we can't, we can't talk. No, you can't tell anybody about what's happened here up here on this mountain. It was only revealed after Jesus died and rose again what happened on the mountain. They, they, were, they were faithful to that gag order. They, he says, don't tell anyone about this. And so one of them had a question about what just happened. And it's interesting that this is the question. If you're there, you can read it. Why do the scribes say that Elijah must first come? And Jesus responds to that question. He says, well, they're right. The scribes were people who were entrusted with making sure the scriptures were intact. They were the copyists. They had to go to great lengths to make sure when they copied scrolls that it was copied exactly, hand-copied. So the scribes knew from copying all these scriptures that Elijah was going to have a role at the end time. In fact, every Seder meal, every Passover meal in the Orthodox Jewish family, there's an empty chair at the table, and that empty chair is for Elijah. And when the Seder meal, the Passover meal is over, one of the younger children is appointed to go to the door to see if Elijah is indeed making his way. And if they don't see him, they actually have a song singing next year in Jerusalem. They, they still anticipate that Elijah is going to come back and have a role in the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. And so Jesus says, you're right. Elijah must come first. But he clarified, he says, but he's already come. And they have done to him whatever they wanted to do to him. Well, you know who the, he's talking about, right? He's talking about John the Baptist. He said John the Baptist is, had come in the role of Elijah. And when you think about it, John the Baptist, in reality, is the first member of Team Jesus. Because what was his role? To prepare the way, to, to be the forerunner, the witness, the voice. He was part of what Jesus came to do. He, he was connected to Jesus. He was, the, he was the preparation for Jesus' arrival. He was the one out there preaching and saying, I'm, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm the prophetic voice of God's word saying, get ready for the Lord. Get ready for the arrival of the Lord. 
And so John the Baptist and Jesus were, were not in competition with each other. When people tried to get them pulled into a rivalry like someone telling John the Baptist that Jesus and his disciples, don't you love this? Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more people than you're baptizing. And we know size is the true authentication of something, right? They did their best to kind of pull them into some kind of rivalry. And they would have none of it. They were quickly to squelch any of that. In fact, John gave his blessing to some of his disciples who became part of the 12 for Jesus. And John made clear to people that my role is to decrease as the role of Jesus increases. He says, we're not here to compete with converts. I'm here to be a complement to him. And so in reality, John the Baptist was maybe the first member of Team Jesus. Well, when you pick it up after that, you go and you find after the transfiguration and, and all this, you find that there's a demonized child. There's a child waiting at the bottom of that mountain with a crowd that is possessed by an evil spirit. So coming off the mountain, the first thing they deal with is a situation that the other nine disciples could not remedy. And I'm just going to briefly run through this because we're going to get to what happens afterwards because it's all connected. The father, exasperated by this little boy that he has that is so filled with this evil spirit that it cast him into the fire, it cast him into the water, it's trying to destroy this child's life. And he says, we're, we're, we're desperate. And we approached your disciples and they couldn't deliver him. And Jesus kind of looked at them and says, oh, faithless generation. He, he actually expected them to be able to do that. And he looked at the father, and when he brought the child to Jesus, when the child saw Jesus, that spirit convulsed, and the child fell on the ground, foaming at the mouth. It was, it was manifesting this evil spirit. And Jesus is talking to the father, and he's talking about, do you believe? And, and it's, it's kind of like a, a quick discussion on faith. And as he saw the crowd coming to see what's going on, this is what Jesus said. You deaf and dumb spirit come out of this child and never return to him. And it said the spirit screamed. The spirit screamed out through this child, convulsed him, and he fell to the ground in such a way that people thought the child had just died. And they even said so. He's dead. And Jesus picks the child up and says, oh, no, he's not dead. He's more alive than ever. Interesting thing that when Jesus cast out the evil spirit, he put off limits, notice, on that little boy. Isn't that neat? 
He says, no longer will you ever approach this child again. He's off limits to you. They leave there and they head up through Galilee and they come to Capernaum and they come into the house and Jesus asked the disciples, what were you guys arguing about while we were on the road? How about that for a team? <laughs> they, they, some of them had just seen Moses and Elijah and they just saw this demonized child delivered and they're having an argument on the way to Capernaum. And what they're arguing about is they didn't say. Scripture says they're just quiet. None of them owned up. And the reason they didn't own up is because they didn't want to tell him, well, we were just discussing who out of the group would be the greatest. I mean, they'd all just failed delivering a child from a demon. And they're discussing who's going to be the greatest. And so what Jesus does, and I'm, I'm just walking you through this chapter. You can follow along. What Jesus tells them, he doesn't even talk to them about the argument that they had. He says, listen, whoever wants to be first has got to be willing to be last. And to demonstrate, he brought a child, a small child. They were in the house, probably Peter's family's home because that's they they would visit there from time to time and he puts this little child in front of them and he actually picks the child up in his arms and he says anyone who receives a child like this receives me and they not only receive me or welcome me they in reality welcome the one who sent me so he's telling them you want advancement? You're concerned about advancement? Well, advancement begins when you humble yourself to do something like that. Become like that little child. And then out of the blue comes verse 38. Now it seems odd, doesn't it? After all of this, the argument and Jesus telling them about a child and out of the blue, John says, teacher, we saw someone casting demons out in your name and we stopped him because he was not one of us. Where in the world did that come from? Where did that fit? It fits more than what we think it fits. And Jesus said, do not stop him. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. We're talking about Team Jesus here. And how about this for the litmus test? For whoever is not against us is for us. When you think about that, <laughs> that team is really easy to join. Are you, are you following this? If they don't show any signs of being against us, they're actually for us. You mean the bar is that low? They're just, we just got to watch. They're not saying anything bad about us, so they must be for us. He's talking about his own team. 
This is what Jesus is saying to them. There's people on my team that's not part of this team. They're not attending the training sessions. They're not following us around. But here is this man, this person, casting demons out of people in the name of Jesus. And he is not in school. He's not in the training. And Jesus tells him, you see that again, don't stop it. It reminds me of Numbers 11. When the Lord speaks to Moses to bring 70 elders into the tent, the tent of meeting. And the Lord comes down in a cloud and takes the, the Holy Spirit that's on Moses and deposits some of that spirit on these 70 elders and they start prophesying. You know the story? They start prophesying. And here comes a runner. A young man running into the meeting where Moses and Joshua and these 70 elders are there. And somebody runs into the meeting and says, there's two guys in the camp that missed the meeting. El dad and me dad. How about that? Just in case you didn't know what their names were. They're inside the camp. In other words, they're not here. They missed the meeting. They were registered as elders, but they missed the meeting. They're in the camp prophesying. And Joshua sounds just like John. Moses, stop them. Refrain them. And Moses says something like this to Joshua. Are you jealous for me? Are you trying to protect my anointing? Oh, no. I wish everybody in Israel was a prophet. Moses said, you trying, you trying to protect me? These two guys missed the meeting? You know, we, we would probably have a problem with that. Well, they missed the meeting. The anointing of the Lord can't come on, and they missed the meeting. And it's almost like you see this replayed with John. We stopped him because he wasn't part of our team. You have Team Moses going on in Numbers 11. And Joshua really didn't think anybody should be prophesying unless Moses gave them the thumbs up. And here we have Moses in the mix here. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration. Isn't that neat? Almost like two similar things are happening, and Moses is connected there. The very, listen, here's the irony. So stick with me just for a few minutes. Here's the irony. They couldn't cast out a demon out of a child, but they're going to stop someone else from casting demons out. And isn't that pretty much human instinct? That if we can't accomplish something, we want to criticize those who do. We want to say, but they're 
they're not like us. <laughs> they're not Pentecostal. They're not Assembly of God. God can only use Assembly of God people. <laughs> they're not one of us. And this is, this is the whole point. Jesus is saying, why are you stopping someone that's attempting to do things for me? Delivering someone from demonic possession. I would say that the Lord really spoke some neat things to us at district council. It was probably the, one of the most anointed district councils I've been in. And it was so good to have Brenda because when, when God would speak to me something, I'd, I'd bounce it off of her. And boy, he spoke something to me, a lot of things to me. Team Jesus. We're on the same team. I've been part of Tuscaloosa Prayer Network since I arrived here, thanks to Big Moore, who would not take no for an answer. I didn't really want to join a ministerial association right off the bat. I had work to do. But he would not let me out of it. But from that first arrival in the summer of 94, I went to a three-day prayer summit with men. They didn't even let you drive your own vehicle. You had to meet at the mall and get on a bus. Because there was, when someone said, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one bus. <laughs> Nobody... Nobody is leaving. And I kind of started feeling good because the most vocal people there were charismatic Pentecostal people. It was the other guys that wanted to find the bus out of town. <laughs> what the, this, this is crazy, but we prayed, prayed with people. Dick Emery, who pastored First Wesleyan. There was John Nixon, who pastored at, at Northport Baptist. We had all kinds of people crammed into Camp Simatonga, the Methodist camp. And then we went to the Baptist camp on the other, uh, on the other prayer retreats. And there was people like Jimmy Garner and Herb Thomas. Fred Shuckard. John Kern. John Nixon. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. It's Team Jesus. Smith Moore, E.J. James. I love being in prayer meeting with E.J. James because E.J. James was hard hearing. And he thought he was praying in tongues in a whisper. It wasn't a whisper. But everybody loved and respected E.J. James so much they didn't say anything to him. He's over there praying in tongues. Smith Moore. Team Jesus. Dan Arsenault preached in this church. Why do we let things separate us? Why do we let things divide us when it's all Team Jesus? John Quick. Every time I see John Quick, I tell him, I want to grow up and be just like you, except the shaved head. I don't want to <laughs> shave my head, but you're just, you're just a cool pastor. I, I want to grow up and be cool like you one day, and he just shakes his head. But listen to me, 
And Brendan, you can come to the instruments. Listen to me. The Church of the Highlands. First Baptist. Vineyard. First Methodist. Calvary Baptist. Daystar. Bethel Baptist. Churches as different as night and day. But it's all Team Jesus. It's all Team Jesus. We let people divide us too much. Don't stop them. Don't criticize them. We're on the same team. And you know, this chapter ends with Jesus warning them. Don't let anything stumble, make you stumble. He uses the analogy of a hand, a foot, an eye. He says, listen, eternity is too important to hang on to stuff that causes you to stumble. He talks about cutting off the foot if the foot is your source of sin. Your hand plucked the eye out. He was using it as metaphors. But what he was saying to them is this. It's better to accept a handicap here and enter eternity with God than to miss what God has for you. And his final word was about salt. How about that to wrap things up? Team salt. He is talking about salt. I mean, look at it. The last verse he said, have salt. What? Have salt among you. Okay. Salt. What are you talking about? The capacity to influence other people. He says, you, you cannot lose that. There's no way to regain that. This is what he means. He says, if it loses its flavor, if it, if it doesn't taste like salt and it doesn't affect like salt, it's not salt anymore. But he says, you're salt. Have salt among you. What's the last words? Be at peace one with another. If our world ever needed to see the body of Christ be the body of Christ and not in competition with each other, it is today. And, and the Lord will convict us if we let him of alienating people that's part of the team that's not necessarily like us, but they name the name of Jesus. Carl Strader taught me a lesson years ago. If someone claims the name of Jesus, that they're saved and he's their savior, he said, that's my brother. Uh, they might be doctrinally way here and over here. He says, but they're my brother, and I'm going to accept them as my brother. Would you stand with me?